Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb. And we just got back from lovely Roanoke, Virginia. It was lovely. I had a lovely time, at least. It poured on us the entire time. And we came in from Seattle. We're supposed to be the ones with rain, as everyone says. I I don't know what anyone's talking about. It's nice in Seattle. It just pours in Roanoke, apparently. People ask me this question all the time, right? And... It's kind of offensive, I guess, because I like Seattle and I, I want to defend it. And I know that I'm certainly in the mini- minority for like what kind of weather I like. And if it rains, I don't really matter all that much. But part of that is because I stay inside a lot. Mm-hmm. But Seattle really doesn't have a rain problem. I think that that's just very overblown. Like it will rain. And by that, I mean sprinkle yes. for like an hour or two. Yes. And then it's back to normal. But there's no like torrential downpour or anything like that. I mean, I, I think that would just be like unbearable. That is and the thing that people don't get. Like it, it just totally misses them is that it doesn't rain the way it did in Roanoke this past weekend where you're just soaked as soon as you step outside. We get these like right. little delightful sprinkles for an hour and then the rest of the day is sunny. And so now we have the most days of rain, but the weather's just great all the time here. Everyone's been deceived. So realistically, Seattle is not that bad. Roanoke, the weather was not great for this weekend and certainly off the heels of the winter SCG con where there was like this snowpocalypse that basically canceled all the events on Sunday. Weather so far has not treated that tournament very well, but overall, I definitely had a very good time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The magic was great. The venue's really good. And actually, I, I had very good food for the most part when I was in Roanoke too. So I was I was very pleased with SCG con. I had a very good time. It also helps that I want a little bit like that makes it a little easier to enjoy yourself. Uh, yeah, I, I can't wait for the next one. I definitely will be going back to SCG Con regularly, even though it's quite a long trip for me to head out to the East Coast, but totally worth it. Cool. I'm excited that you keep getting hooked back in to these things. Like first, the Hunter Burton Memorial. It's like, you know, try and do my best to convince you to go and you end up having a good enough time that you want to go back and same deal with this. So, dude, we get some weekends to hang out. Mm-hmm. That's always good. I- I'm very choosy with the events I'll put on my calendar in the first place, right? Like I don't go chasing everything. So I generally only put stuff on that has a really good reputation. And both Hunter Burton and SCG Con delivered on their reputation. So they they earned my repeat business. Hell yeah. So let's start with the events. Uh, we did record basically live on Thursday from our hotel room. You had just gotten in after taking a red eye and not sleeping really at all. And we were talking about, you know, the formats and what decks that we would play and stuff. And I had a predictions article go up on SCG on Friday. And I think we kind of nailed it. I think the like we were on top of things, at least in standard, standard. modern, I think. Yeah. Modern was more open than I thought it was going to be, Same. but that's completely reasonable. But yeah, Esper Hero, Esper Midrange, whatever you want to call it, obviously the best performing deck in the tournament, four copies in top eight, won the tournament, etc. Uh, that deck is completely delightful. Yeah, it's just like a very well-balanced, well-built deck. And as we mentioned several times, like multiple ways you can build Esper. We obviously can talk about the Esper superheroes deck taking, or excuse me, the Esper, yeah, Esper superheroes taking down the tournament, but Esper super friends lurking right behind it. There's a few copies in the top 16, which was closer to what I was initially intending to play. So I think we had a good sense that the Esper decks were strong and also a good sense on how we needed to evolve them. 
but neither one of us played Esper, which is, I think, interesting that we both got to a point where we were hemming and hawing when we were recording the podcast, but ultimately we both registered Boros Aggro. Yeah, why? I mean, I basically did it because I thought that the deck was very good against things that were not Esper, not Mono Red, and even those matchups are still close, very winnable. And you just seem so against the idea of playing a white aggro deck basically based on a lack of agency that it was like, all right, you know, screw this guy. I'm going to show him a lesson. I'm going to teach him that you can play an aggro deck in a tournament and succeed. And I just thought we would leave it at that. I thought you were just going to play your Esper deck. And then I ended up posting in the Discord at like, you know, 1.30 a.m. or something that I was playing the deck. And then you were just like, all right, me too. Yeah, well, I didn't ever have a reason for myself not to play the deck except this kind of narrative I wrote around it about not controlling my fate, which we all know is silly. And no matter what deck you're playing, you have agency to some extent. Like, granted, it's greater in other instances. But I agreed with all the conclusions we were reaching. And like I said, the deck I was winning most with was Mono White. And my concern was that given the shifts that the Esper decks were making, specifically that they were returning to Wraths, and Wraths had been trending down, which was a huge part of my mono-white success, I think, is that Esper just wasn't really a problematic matchup anymore. But when they return to the Wraths, it gets much worse. And that's the trend I saw happening. When you were like, hey, experimental frenzy time, I was like, I think that checks out, and I think this brings this one matchup, which I'm concerned about, close enough for me to be comfortable playing this deck. Now, I will say... I don't think it was there for the superheroes matchup. I think it was fine for like the more super friends-ish matchups where they were more controlling, more planeswalker based. I played against Emma Handy in round one. There was a camera match between her and I. I lost narrowly. I mean, I was in the, the match 100% and Experimental Frenzy did exactly what it was designed to do. And I'm confident we brought that matchup to a very reasonable state despite the large number of rats. Something felt off about the superheroes matchup to me. I I think like heroes ability to just snowball a game out of nowhere was problematic. And I only played against it once. So like I'm talking an incredibly small sample size. But in that one game, I was like, I think there's a structural problem here where we didn't quite solve this. Do you agree? Or do you think you just also had solved that matchup with the addition of Experimental Frenzy as well? So I went three and one and my single loss was to Esper with Hero Precinct 1. and it basically went according to their plan where my opponent played a turn two hero was able to make a bunch of tokens i kind of flooded out in game one and they were able to stabilize behind that and then in post board they also played a turn two hero which encouraged me to overextend and they followed up with a cry of the carnarium which a lot of people have been advocating cutting as of late so uh, I thought that I would be fine at fighting through a Kaya's Wrath potentially, but not a Cry. And the fact that they played a hero on turn two might mean that they just don't even have it. But my opponent played very well, rightfully played the hero on turn two, like baited me into overcommitting and then got, you know, the four for two or whatever. But I, I won my other matches. I played against Gruul and Mono Red and something else. I don't remember. It all kind of runs together, but. Right. Yeah, overall, I think that the Esper matchup is still very difficult. And at this point, with Esper being very strong and basically being solid against everything, I don't see a whole lot of reason to not play that deck. Although, uh, you can basically win with anything in this format. I think that's true. And I think the big story, if you want to talk about like kind of 
a left field entrant, it was the Bant decks that only started showing up in the days immediately before the Invitational. And they seem to be kind of the story on day one. Not a lot of conversion, though, for the Bant decks. Not a lot of top 16 slots. Obviously, we're dealing with a split format tournament. You can't take too much from that. And of course, if you go look at the GP results, it was also a standard GP this past weekend. Bant looked kind of dominant there. And some of the win percentages I saw were actually incredible for the Bant ramp style decks. So I'm not quite sure what to make of that deck yet. I'm not ruling it out, even though you don't see it necessarily represented when you look through the top 16 decks of the Invitational, at least in the standard portion. Yeah. You know what's great, though, is that the Bant deck rose up on that Thursday, which basically means that only like the top players are going to pick it up because they are entrenched enough and have the ability to pick up like a new deck and immediately know how to play it. Mm. And us playing the white aggro deck is just so off meta that we end up with a good matchup against the decks that are trying to prey on Esper. Right. So I think that, you know, had we played GP Taipei, for example, I think that we could have done particularly well, you know, if the tournament was all standard. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, the, the fact that the Envy was split format and I started well, I went uh, 3-1 in standard and then I went 2-2 in modern with Is it Phoenix. I didn't even play day two because like I, I didn't really want to like wake up kind of early and like slog it out where I had to like win all my matches to top eight and stuff. And anyone who knows me knows that that is kind of how I roll where... If I'm not crushing the tournament, I'm just kind of off it. <laughs> but I think I think if it was standard, it's like, yeah, pair me against the best players in the tournament. Like all these people playing Simic and Bant and stuff, like I would have just rolled them and it would have been great. Yeah, I was pleased with the deck selection. I only went 2-2. But like I said, my losses to Esper, one was close, one didn't feel particularly good. I thought the deck selection was fine. And then I, when it came to Modern, I don't really know what I did to myself. I mean, quite frankly, I just played awfully. And a lot of that was playing my deck for the first time when I sat down to play it in the modern rounds. I played Tron and obviously I've played Tron before and, you know, people don't have a particularly high opinion of the amount of skill it takes to play Tron, but I didn't properly integrate my Karn wishboard. I made some mistakes always revolving around Karn. Always. And they cost me, for sure. So I, I just wish I played Amulet. I you know, was talking to a lot of people. Some folks were lower on it. I, I spoke with Edgar, and I was kind of like waffling. I was pretty sure I was playing Tron, but I had the chance to speak with Edgar. And he's like, yeah, I'm not playing Amulet. And I'm like, well, I can't play Amulet. There's no way I'm going to register this if you're not. So I just kind of freaked out and ended up playing Tron. And uh, I, I don't know about my positioning. I mean, basically, I couldn't beat Emma Handy no matter what I did. And she beat me in the first round of Modern as well in the Tron versus Dread matchup. So That's funny. Yeah, I think I was just destined to lose to her throughout the weekend. And, and that was my fate no matter what I chose. Okay, well, why, why did you not play Amulet? I mean, you've been a staunch proponent of this deck for so long. Like, whenever we do commentary on the SCG Tour, you're, you're always looking at, you know, Dilks and Edgar, uh, Daryl Ayers when he shows up. Like, all these people who play Amulet, they always do well. And suddenly you're just off it basically because Edgar said he's off it. I mean, I, I feel like he didn't necessarily think that the deck was bad, right? He just like had this deck that he liked more. No, I mean, we talked about it on the cast. I was waffling even going into the weekend and I, I just couldn't come up with a good reason to play it. It's not like I thought it was poorly positioned. I just couldn't find where it was really getting its edge. 
And maybe part of that is my resistance to the red splash as opposed to the white splash. I'm a big fan of the Path to Exile style builds as opposed to a braid, just because I really dislike a braid. But I think Fire Spout was so key in this tournament, and humans continue to be very well represented. And talking to some amulet players, they just don't really fear the Phoenix decks anymore, and they don't think it's important to have access to Path to be able to beat them. That's not something I've really updated my heuristics with. Like, I, I, That's not something I've ingrained in my matchup percentages when I'm thinking about how to build my deck yet. But if that's actually true and that checks out, then I can see doing the red splash every time. And that would have pushed me a little bit further in the direction. But it was one of those things where it felt like the deck was standing still and the rest of the format was moving forward and I was afraid to stand still. And I think I just made a mistake. You should play Path and Timely. You love timely reinforcements in every possible deck. And every it's time I play so it, I'm like, good. I hate this card with all my heart. It's just never good for me. I, I oh don't my know. God. I don't Dude, know. I, th- this, is, this is one of the things where I'm just like, I know with absolute certainty that I'm right, that this card is just straight busted. And I, I don't know what the deal is, you know? <laughs> I don't either. I mean, it's, it's not only me who doesn't like timely reinforcements. I think the majority opinion is probably low on timely reinforcements. It's seen very much as like a narrow sideboard card. And you just love it. You want to jam it in main decks. And I, I always try. You know I trust your opinion. I always want to make timely reinforcement work. And it just never does for me. I don't know. I'm not seeing the same things you are. In situations where you want to protect Planeswalkers, it's insane. And in situations like amulet versus humans where outside of things like meddling mage, like obviously that is a card that you absolutely need to remove in most instances. Mm-hmm. Timely is just a thing that buys you like three turns and that's all you need. Like against you some about- draws. I mean, there's, there's still like mantis rider draws that it does almost nothing against. I mean, sure. But like you still have to deal with their smaller threats too. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm literally only losing this Mantis Rider. And if that's the case, I mean, like you're, you're gaining six life and breaking all their ground stuff. Like, I think in most games like Amulet versus humans, it is it just comes down to like, oh, man, if Amulet only had like another turn or two. And I think Fire Spout does a lot of that work where, you know, it, it gives you that extra turn or two of breathing room. But at the same time, it also kills Meddling Mage, whereas Timely does not. But it gives you arguably more breathing room. So Mm -hmm. I think if you are dead set on the white splash, but you're like, oh, I really miss fire spout. You could either try and do things where like you play both. And obviously that's kind of asking for trouble. And generally your, you know, tribe scouts and Azusa's are very good against humans because they don't really have ways to remove them. And you don't want to have to like do the fire spout dance with them. I think timely just makes sense to me. It'll be something I'll have to look at going forward, assuming any any of these decks we're speaking about right now are even playable anymore. So that's that's another hurdle we have to cross. Well, that's a, a reasonable transition point, I think. First, I want to talk about Is It Phoenix? Sure. This is the, the first time playing Phoenix in a tournament, and my draws were quite good. I think that is just a, a thing with the deck, right? Like you have so many cantrips, like you basically never mulligan. Your draws are very consistent, and you kind of do busted things. And my deck continually served up those draws, and I still win two and two. What does that say to you? Just everyone else is also doing busted things, you know? Hmm. So I I don't know what it is. I mean, one of the problems with Phoenix, for sure, is the fact that you only have so many slots in your main deck to actually play specific interaction cards. So, like, you get to play Gut Shots or Flame Slashes or 
uh, surgical extractions, whatever. But you can't really play things like Spell Pierce as the metagame necessitates. You can't main deck things like Narset necessarily. So you are kind of just locked into doing the thing that your deck does and hoping it's good enough. And obviously your sideboard gets to help you cover things a little bit. But for the most part, I think people finally have made it so their decks are capable of defeating the things that Is It Phoenix does on the reg. And that's cool and everything. Like you said, basically none of this matters. Yeah. Also, if you're into blue-red decks that always get to play uh, a game and do really powerful stuff, we should talk Legacy sometime. Because, man, do I have a blue-red deck for you in Legacy that is super sweet. And I can't wait to find more Legacy to play, actually. Because I loved my Dreadhorde Arcanist Delver deck from this past weekend. It yeah, was you, so you top forward. You top forward the play for power, right? You you went undefeated in the Swiss. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. I went 6-0-2 in the Swiss. Uh, and the deck was just absolutely bonkers uh ended up losing in the semis probably my own fault I th- i'm pretty confident i misplayed at this point uh not to say i win if i make the proper play but uh you know i, I made a judgment call i think i made it incorrectly and it cost me in the top eight but still a decent result i was happy to walk out with my first piece of power i had a beautiful mox ruby to take home with me and it is in great condition and now the unfortunate thing is i have to buy the rest of the power nine so it really cost me a lot to do well in this tournament but yeah so it goes man uh i I think a lot of people would just be like oh cool i have this mox and i'll just immediately turn around and sell it or whatever but you're just like well i don't you know need to sell this currently so what am I going to do with a single mox? And the logical thing is, well, you, you got to catch them all, right? That's how it works. Yeah. Well, if you just look at it, like the way I look at it is that if you, at any point in magic history, if you had chosen to sell a mox, you made an incorrect decision. So unless this is the first time where it's correct to sell a mox and the fact that I don't have any pressing needs where I need to turn it into cash, I may as well hold on to it, right? I can't find a reason to turn it over. And even if I'm not going to use it, it still makes sense to hold on to it, I think. I don't know, man. You say that, if you ever sold a piece of power, you were making a mistake. And I think that there's a certain amount of FOMO that's involved in that, like fear of missing out. And mm-hmm. obviously, in hindsight, you can say that. But my situation, uh, you know, I was playing a bunch of Magic in my later teens and kind of like crushing the local vintage events and stuff. Like I would play a, our monthly vintage event where like first place got a Mox or some random piece of power or whatever. And I would sell that to to pay my rent or whatever. And well, sure. You got you to gotta eat. You got to live. Right. At some point, I had, I think, five pieces. That was the most I had until I finally just like broke down. And like this was maybe right when Extended was rotating and they were like taking the dual lands out or whatever. Or I had enough people that could like loan me cards where I didn't need to own them specifically. And it's like I was starting to get on the like FBB dual land train and stuff like that. Mm, and so yeah. I had a nice collection, man. And I sold it walked away with like $2,000 or whatever. And yeah, that was, you know, paying my rent, eating, bought me some plane flights to go to other tournaments. I eventually hit what was effectively gold, you know, hitting like the PT gravy train thing and just like continue playing magic from there. So yes, if I were able to hold on to those pieces for dear life, I would have ended up making more money. But uh, certainly at that point in my life, the $2,000 mattered more than, you know, the 8,000 would be to me now. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, nobody's made it through without selling anything, right? Like we've all been in that spot. I, I sold most of my legacy collection years ago to buy my wife's engagement ring. 
So like I, I've been through it and I, I rebuilt it after that. But like if I had just held it at that point, obviously I turn out way better, but you get something you want immediately that has a lot of value. And uh, you can't always look at like the, just the cash value of what you've given up, but I just don't need anything right now. And that's, that's where I'm yeah. at. And it's a yep. good spot to be in happy to be there. It's the first time probably in my life where had I come across power, I could just be like, okay, I can just hold this. So I'm going to do that for the time being. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you where it's like, I don't necessarily need to sell these cards. But with how things are right now, like, do I need a almost full modern collection? You know, it's like I'm not playing modern locals every week or anything. Like, I don't really have time to be doing that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. the value of me just like having a collection is not super high. I went through and took out a bunch of like fringe stuff that I likely will not be playing in the near future and sold some of that this weekend. And I think that that's just cool. Like that, that's a thing that I can afford to do rather than just have these cards around collecting dust. And that's probably what I would do if I had a random box. Okay. Yeah, we'll teach their own. I don't, I don't fault you for that. And like you said, you can do something with that money, right? And you can decide how to apply it. And oftentimes money in hand is worth more happiness than potential money and whatever someone wanted to do. I'd be cool with it. Yeah, but yeah, we're we're probably on a quest to collect them all. We'll, we'll see how that goes. I, I don't think it'll be something that like I go out and the next GP I just buy them all. Right, and something when like the opportunity arises, I might now look into it. Yeah, like some foil German gemstone mines, right? Right, exactly like that. Yeah, so I, I think it'd also be different if it was just like a single piece of cardboard versus you know like the infinite cards I'm staring at right now from my room, where I'm just like, God, I want to get rid of some of this clutter, you know. Yeah, you just need to clear out some space, whereas mine is a very compact package. Yeah, and realistically, if I could just, you know, trade in one of these long boxes for a single Mox Ruby or whatever and just sit on that for forever, that would be fine too, you know? Mm -hmm. So I get it. I'm right there with you. But anyway, Modern Horizons, baby. Yep, it's ready. modern time. All this stuff we're talking about basically invalidated. Things have gone crazy with the combination of War of the Spark, which is also super impactful but Modern Horizons already doing a number on Modern. And we get to do this a little bit later than we usually do. There's some results, first results rolling in from the post-Modern Horizons era over on Magic Online. So I think we're coming at this a little bit more informed than we usually would. And also maybe coming off our worst top 10 of all time, I think, with our War of the Spark top 10, where things just didn't play out the way we expected at all. Likely. Yeah, I think... With the the war top 10, it is just all the Planeswalkers, super hard to evaluate. And, you know, we try to look at it from uh, a lens of, you know, what sort of new decks will these cards make? And it's really difficult to do that because we don't get to actually test with the cards or anything or try out these new decks. So it's like, okay, this card is powerful enough to stand alone and make an entirely new archetype or you know, with the decks that exist right now, where are these cards going to slot in and stuff like that? And yeah, cards like Nissa Who Shakes the World, for example, right? Like that card did not really go into any existing decks and certainly the way people were building like their Nexus decks, for example, it's like you don't really want Nissa in that deck. So where is this card going to go? Does it fit into Gruul? Is Gruul going to be big? Well, as it turns out, yes, it is. Yep. Yeah, and that's a very difficult thing to predict. Yep. Uh, so yeah, kind of blew it, but it's hard, man. It is so hard. And I, our cards that are in the top 10 are not bad cards, you know? 
Agree. Agree. And it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out. I will say that I, I think I had a little bit more clarity to my process going into Modern Horizons just because I, I'm not messing with fair stuff here, Jerry, because I don't believe in that in Modern. And if you look at what's happened thus far, I don't see a whole lot of space for fair magic as Modern exists right now. And I can only evaluate as Modern exists right now. So I went with less raw card quality and more how does this card make inroads into modern become something important i'm looking for important cards here that was really my focus as opposed to raw power and we'll see if that shapes my top 10 a little bit differently than maybe some of my past top 10s would have been shaped yeah and that's legit we'll we'll see how that works i mean i'm i'm kind of operating as i always have where it's like which cards are going to see the most amount of play or potentially be the most impactful, maybe spawn new archetypes, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I got some fair ones on here. And okay. uh, since since this is Modern Horizons, I think I could have pretty easily made like a top 30 list. When trying to whittle down my top 10, I made it to 15. And uh, some of this is like grouping in cycles, you know, such as the cycling lands. I think that that is uh, pretty reasonable to just lump them all together. So the five cards that are just outside my top 10, I'm just going to go over real quick, are the cycling lands, Ren and Six, Collector Oof, Urza, and Goblin Engineer. Yeah, and I came to the table with uh, basically 12 cards on my first draft of my list. So a little bit tighter package than you had. The two sitting just outside, Collector Oof and Ren and Six for me. Just okay. barely missing my top 10. Yeah, so we, we basically agree that those cards are good. We'll see play, but there's some heavy hitters in the set. Ren and Six is super interesting, I think, as just like a two-mana Planeswalker that actually does stuff. That's pretty terrifying. Like, that's that's something really special. But that card is also ultra fair, like ultra fair. It's slow. It's just a little bit of value here and there. And it combines very nicely with a bunch of existing cards to be an awesome value engine. But again, nothing broken. And I just think modern is kind of really, really extra broken right now. Maybe more so than ever before. Fair enough. Okay. I mean, that might change, right? Sure. Anything can change. We have a Mythic Championship in Barcelona at like towards the end of July, I think. And I don't know when the next official BNR announcement is, but I think at this point, maybe something graveyard related has to go. Uh, I don't even want to speculate yet, Jerry, because it's like you have to, there has to be some attempts to adapt first, right? And like people certainly know this is something that's going on, but there's been one weekend of results. Like, Give the adaptations a chance. At le- it's got to have of at course. least two or three weeks to see how you can respond to it. So I understand where this is coming from, but it's it's overblown again. And it's just the way we talk about these cards now. We immediately start talking about bands, and I understand why, but you have to give it a little bit more time to breathe. It's okay no, to watch no, no. it, okay, but so it needs this, more time. So this is my take, is that there are X amount of cards on my modern watch list, cards that I think will be banned eventually. Mm-hmm. This is just one of those points where, yeah, maybe the format adapts. And I, I don't think that it is right for there to be like, oh, look at the results from this one tournament. 10 Hogak decks are in the top 32, blah, blah, blah. Let's ban all the cards. I, I think it is just like, okay, you know, like Bridge from Below is not existing in modern to do like fair, cool stuff, right? Like this is a mm-hmm. card that has escaped bannings thus far based on the fact that like, 
Grave Troll is banned for a bit, and then Dread returns, stuff like that, and it's only a matter of time, and I think that time might be now. And even if it is fine, I think that card will get banned eventually. There will be some other print. I think it would have been interesting to come into this release with kind of a guns a blazing approach. Like we're going for it here. We're pushing hard. Don't be surprised if we're like, we're throwing stuff on the ban list after, you know, a few months of this format. And I think like giving that disclaimer, I, I, I have to unpack the psychological effect of that because it probably just amplifies all this discussion, which I think isn't all that useful. But at the same time, it makes it a little easier to bear because we always talk about the consumer confidence cost of doing bannings. There's got to be cost. I mean, look, this is a brand new set. And if you invalidate a bunch of cards in it within a month of its release, there's still something there that's wrong. And I don't know what the best way to mitigate the pain is like, you want to make splashy stuff. You want to go for the gusto, but you also want to have a way to kind of get things back in order. I don't know. It's such a hard job. I I don't envy having to do it, but we'll see how this all plays out. And I I think we've probably beaten around the bush enough. We're going to talk about all these cards a lot more, so we may as well get to it. Yeah. Top 10. Uh, I'll start with my number 10. Cool. Go for it. Yawgmoth, Ran Physician, 2BB, 2-4, Legendary Creature, Human Cleric. Protection from humans, pay one life, sacrifice another creature, put a minus one, minus one counter on up to one target creature and draw a card. BB, discard a card, proliferate. I love all of these abilities. I love this card. I think it's super cool. I think it's doing some awesome, awesome stuff. I want to build decks around it. I want it to be a fair value engine. I want it to fill a role in humans. It costs four mana. I I just don't think it's realistic. I don't think it changes <laughs> so the format. This this is going to be your argument against all of my cards, I feel like. It, prob- it probably is, yeah. So if Hogak did not break out, I feel like Yawgmoth would potentially be the centerpiece of some Carrion Feeder Bloodgast deck. Uh, as it stands, I think that Yawgmoth is an excellent card in the sideboard of humans in that traditional like four-mana kind of go-bigger card. Where yeah, I think Warly Yawgmoth- Rogue. Yeah, Whirler Rogue, whatever. And I I think Yawgmoth just does that job a lot better. It has protection from humans. It's good in the mirror match, which I think is incredible. And humans is one of the decks that people have said actually has a reasonable Hogak matchup. Okay, so that's certainly a huge point in its favor. And I agree, this seems like a sweet sideboard inclusion for humans. It's certainly a way stronger card than something like Whirler Rogue. And I hope this can do more than just be like that fringe player just filling in that sideboard slot. Yeah, and we already saw this card get some legacy play too. It was was it Barra? Uh, I don't remember who it was, but it was an incredible looking Nick Fit deck that was based around Yogmoth. I think there were three copies, right? Yep. Yeah, pretty crazy stuff. So that'll be cool if this gets some legacy play too. Yeah, and it's just because it, it is seeing legacy play, it leads me to believe that there is space for that sort of thing in modern but things have to change first obviously because we are living in broken land currently yep my read as well all right you're number 10 shenanigans destroy target artifact let's read these cards by the way jerry i, I think you did a good job with yogmoth but I'll, I'll read shenanigans uh one in a red destroy target artifact dredge one basically i think this card is huge because just its existence is a really powerful check on strategies that can occasionally get out of control. And this is 
pretty much the end of Lantern, I think. And not that that deck has really seen a lot of play presently, although Sam Black, not too far off from a top eight with Lantern. But Shenanigans is just always going to deal with problematic prison approaches, persistent artifact hate, really cool thing for decks to have access to. This is kind of a humble common, but I think as far as the shape of the format going forward, this will likely be an important card that changes things a little bit. One of the most effective pieces of hate we've seen. And it was close between this and Collector Oof. I mentioned that was just outside my top 10. I think Oof is interesting because there's so many decks that can tutor for it, right? Like you're looking at all the Summoner's Pack decks, all the Finale decks, they all have access to it very reliably. Uh, Collected Company decks, another deck that gets access to it. So I I think that's really important. But its existence alone isn't going to like shut off the possibility of a certain archetype existing. And I, I do think Shenanigans has that kind of cooling effect with the artifact-based prison decks. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Lantern, if it cared, like if Lantern were well-positioned, I think it could find ways to beat Shenanigans, either with like some Graveyard Hate or Pixis, like how they used to fight Ancient Grudge, stuff like that. So sure. I, I think it is possible. Uh, I, I also think that Shenanigans is one of those cards that's going to show up as mostly like a one-of in a lot of sideboards, uh, especially, especially in, in decks like uh, the Hogak Bridgevine deck or Dredge, like anything that is seeing like a big portion of its deck in any game, like you don't need to play a bunch of these. So I think it's going to show up in small numbers is definitely going to see play, but that's why it did not make my list. Okay, that's fair. I, like I said, it's right on the fringes of my list, uh, more about what it means, what its existence means than how much I think it's really going to see play. Yeah. So my number nine is Unsettled Mariner. I'm sure a card that is nowhere near your top 10. This is uh, UW. It's not on my list. I do think this card is good, though. Go ahead. Okay. UW22, Shapeshifter, Changeling. Whenever you or a permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, counter that spell or ability unless its controller pays one. So this fits into basically any tribal deck that is both blue and white. And this is a big pickup, I think, for humans because one of the things that I was constantly struggling with was walking ballista and obviously you can just be like oh tron has infinite mana it's fine but realistically like they need the ballista to do stuff the turn it comes down and this kind of stops them from doing that and then you know maybe you can play a follow lieutenant or whatever like continually push things out of range and regardless this is just Athalia for any removal spell period so having more uh, access to stuff like that i think is very very strong I'm with you. I I think this taxing effect is super strong. And the fact that it goes across multiple archetypes is a huge feather in its cap. You know, we certainly see spirits deck in these colors. And I don't think Merfolk really has the tools, but look, if they, they want to pick this up, they can. And that kind of versatility is going to be really impactful. The tax is going to slow down uh, a lot of decks, which would otherwise like, this does a good job of targeting decks that traditionally have favorable matchups like the really removal heavy decks are going to be taxed really hard by unsettled mariner makes your fatal pushes and your lightning bolts much more clunky and that matters a lot when the margins are super slim as they often are against a deck like humans so i'm into this card i think it's good it didn't make my list but a fine inclusion i don't begrudge you for it tight my number nine this one almost left a few times but i'm happy i included it because it sticks to my principles it's weather the storm. One colorless, <laughs> one green, instant. You gain three life. Storm. Didn't I have to sell you on this card? 
You may have, but then I read it and I was like, oh yeah, Storm. Every card with Storm is completely broken. Uh, the most obvious use for this card is in like the Bolas Citadel decks, which I do see creeping around often in combination with these new artifact-based cards that we've seen, uh, such as the Goblin. But I, I think there's probably like some marginal fair applications. Like this is a pretty good just life gain spell because it's instant. You can find a lot of spots where this is going to put a lot of life on the board against Burn if you play it properly. I don't think that's its primary use, though. It's going to do something broken. Anything that can convert life into resources and can do so quickly will have interest in weather the storm. And this can be a tool, not necessarily right now, but for the entire history of modern, the fact that this card exists, it changes all of the resource generation cards, which use life as a resource. And that's extremely powerful. And just the keyword storm. I mean, what, what card with storm hasn't been good? It's really difficult to find one. Like you played Ground Rift at a Pro Tour. Ground Rift basically has no text and it was still good enough just because it storms. And that mostly tracks the storm mechanic is problematic. I don't know exactly what this card is doing yet, but it's going to find something to do over its lifespan. I mean, I think you could also find uh, ways to use this with Grizzlebrand, maybe in the Allosaurus Rider uh, Neoform mm-hmm. deck but I'm not really sure how big of a cost that is. Like Matsugan's list played one life goes on and that's only one mana. So it's pretty easy to do your Neoform thing, make a land drop and then life goes on. Uh, whereas this would require like a spirit guide and sometimes like two spirit guides and a metamorphose or whatever, but still like you gain, you know, 12 life with a gristle brand in play and that's probably game. Yeah. I don't know if you can make it work from a mana perspective, but even like the life goes on, you just fizzle on life quite often with that deck and being able to generate a a bigger burst, getting two Gristlebrand activations as opposed to one. If you can do that with Weather the Storm, then it's probably going to be worth it. So I'm, I certainly don't call myself a Neoform expert, but the fans of that deck will have to check out this card to see if it does anything there. Uh, but I think step one on the unfair train as it exists right now is Bolus's Citadel, and you'll be able to pretty effectively burn through your deck with Weather the Storm. Yep, I agree with that. Uh, my number eight is Ranger Captain Vios, one dub dub, three three human soldier. When this enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a creature card with CMC one or less, reveal it, put it in your hand, shuffle your library, sacrifice this. Your opponents can't cast non creature spells this turn, so not an inherently broken card by itself however it is very good against broken things so i think that this maybe should have made your list if it hadn't already it did and we're not there yet i'll hold it because i actually have it a little higher than you probably the only real fair card to make my list i think this card is quite good and it's doing pretty much exactly what i thought it would thus far slotting into humans seemingly immediately just getting a little value there. But also, if you look at the top eight of the most recent Modern Challenge, uh, Death Shadow deck using this. I, yeah. I think it was Esper Death Shadow, which yeah. was kind of wild. But I thought the deck looked really cool. And you could certainly see how you could leverage Ranger Captain of Eos in that deck. So I'm looking forward to seeing more Ranger Captain plus Death Shadow combinations. I think that's a r- real thing for sure. And this is just really good text and it's really consistent text. I think that's where this card breaks for me as opposed to something like Yawgmoth, plus obviously three mana versus four, but it's going to do the same thing in every game. It's going to go get your best one drop for a situation always. And that kind of consistency is worth a little bit more than like 
you know, a Yog Moth off the top isn't always going to be impactful if your battlefield has been dealt with. You know what you're getting from your Ranger Captain Abios. I think it's a little bit more consistent. Uh, and that's why I like this card out of all the fair ones the best. Makes sense to me. You're number eight. Scale up. And scale oh, up come is on. one green until end of turn. Target creature you control becomes a green worm with base tough, base power and toughness 6-4. One of the bigger pump spells ever seen for one green mana. This generates basically plus five on the power side. For in fact, if we're talking about a super linear format where you're just kind of bashing things against each other, you're looking for really fast, really efficient gold fishes. And I think scale up plays right along with that. I, I mean, I don't think you necessarily jam four copies. That's not what we're looking to do here, but this is going to significantly speed up the clock of something like infect. And as we get more and more linear, things like infect get more and more appealing to me. If you're just trying to do your thing, infect can do it faster than almost anyone turn two kills or the range of like, Hogak and Gristlebrand, you can you can keep pace with that kind of stuff, and you have different vulnerabilities. Um, and if everyone's going after those decks, you can go do your scale up thing and just win through combat. So I like this card. I think this is a big get for Infect. Okay, uh, it's not that much better than Might of Old Grossa. Uh, obviously, like every point matters. Every point matters. I don't think that. It, like you said, it's going to show up in huge numbers because Might of Volcrosa is still a potential pump spell that can do things in combat, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I don't know how much this card is actually going to show up. I do think that Infect is one of the decks that is good against Bridgevine. So mm-hmm. we we could see a resurgence of that deck, but we'll have to wait. I've and seen see. this in other weird spots, too, with like prowess creatures, yep. which I wouldn't expect this to be anywhere near good enough, but... I have seen some very big Monastery Swift Spears very early on in the game and scale up as part of that. And the way this rule, this works under the rules text, it, it's unintuitive, but you retain all those plus bonuses you're getting from prowess. Uh, so those creatures get big quick. Layers. Yeah. All right. So what are we? My number seven? You're number seven. Magmatic Sinkhole. 5R Instant Delve. This deals five damage to target creature Planeswalker. Yes, this is a fair card, but removal is always good in modern. This is one of the better removal spells that we've seen in quite some time. Yeah, I'm groaning because I don't have this. And actually, I I think I immediately regret not including this on my list because I do think this card uh, matters a lot, especially in the world of post-war, the spark with the three mana planeswalkers are everywhere. Oh, yeah. You want to play your Narset and be cute and keep it at five? Well, I got bad news for you. Yeah, and that's a very common play pattern in the format right now. And I, I think this card is another one that extends back to Legacy pretty effectively. I talked a bit about Blue-Red Delver. This might see some play there. This is just a fine, efficient, one-mana removal spell. This is getting played in large numbers across a bunch of decks. And uh, you're right, it's fair, but it's it's the good kind of fair. I agree. All right, keep us going. Number seven is Lava Dart. One red instant lava dart deals one damage to any target. Flashback sacrifice a mountain. As we talk about things getting linear and maybe infect based, man, there's no card infect hates more than lava dart picking off two creatures at the same time. It'll be always be a little back and forth between lava dart and gutshot. I think as far as the uh, red spell based decks go, but lava dart just a bit more flexible. If Humans is indeed one of the decks that retains good matchups across the field, Lava Dart good there as well. Just putting two removal spells on one piece of cardboard and very little mana investment 
fits perfectly with exactly what modern is about, I think. Efficiency, speed, all that stuff matters a ton. And this is the type of removal a lot of decks have been looking for. Yep. And on top of that, triggers prowess, helps with Arclight Phoenix, uh, just good to deposit into your graveyard for things like Bedlam Reveler. Like this, this card just kind of does it all. This is my... No, don't tell us. No? No, we do it now. We, we do it as we go. That's our thing now. All right, fine. So you'll let us know when we get there. I believe it. It's on my list. All right, my next okay. up is Prismatic Vista. Uh, this is a fetch land for basics. So if you're playing Azorius Control or uh, any sort of like Blue Moon deck, or you are interested in playing one color alongside some Eldrazi, so you want some wastes, uh, this is a card that you will play. This is also my number six card. So we know this is exactly the sixth best card in the entire set. No doubt about it. Yep. This card is cool. It does cool things. Like you mentioned, Eldrazi. Uh, I'm seeing some snow lists that look nice. I think Prismatic Vista is a key part of that. Uh, I've seen some ninjutsu fairies, you know, three color with Ice Fang. How do we decide we pronounce that word? Coatl, is that it? Coatl. Yeah. Coatl. Okay. So I've, I've seen some cool fairies lists with Ice Fang, Coatl, and Jitsu creatures. Sometimes not using Fallen Shinobi and instead using Ingenious Infiltrator, which isn't something I expected, but kind of makes a lot of sense when you think about it uh, and wanting to use your mana very efficiently on a bunch of turns. If, if those decks are good, man, that's right up my alley. So I'll definitely be checking out <laughs> those three color snow decks. But certainly Vista is a key part of those decks. It's the only way the mana base works. This card's going to be cool, going to be around in modern for a long time. I'm happy they printed this. Same. Uh, my number five is Lava Dart. Okay, so we have covered your number five. We'll go to mine. Force of Vigor, going along very well with my everything has to be free and cheap to see play in modern. This is, of course, one of the free spells. It's two colorless, green, green, instant. If it's not your turn, you may exile a green card from your hand rather than pay the spell's mana cost, destroy up to two target artifacts, and or enchantments the artifact based aggressive decks will never feel safe ever again going all in on a ink moth nexus or arcbound ravager they always have to fear this force of vigor when facing a green deck you can tell this set was being developed at a time when kci was showing up on the scene because man is there a lot of hateful stuff for artifacts sitting around this set yeah ain't nothing wrong with that so I like this card a lot. I do think it's going to show up in a lot of sideboards, maybe not as uh, four ofs or whatever. Uh, did not make my list, but definitely one of the cards that I'm happiest got printed in this set. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's just good to make people think about things in modern. And the whole force line of cards was important if things are going to keep trending in this broken direction. And they kind of have to. As the card pool grows larger and larger, it's almost impossible not to break things, especially as we do this modern focus printing now. Things are just going to break, and you want checks like this in place, and I'm happy Force of Vigor exists. For sure. So my number four is Seasoned Pyromancer, 1RR, 2-2, Human Shaman. When this enters the battlefield, discard two cards, then draw two cards. Uh, for each non-land card discarded this way, create a 1-1 one, one red elemental token. 3RR, exile this from your graveyard, create two 1-1 one, one red elemental creature tokens. So if you are hellbent, this will just draw you two cards straight up. If you are kind of digging for lands, or if you just have a bunch of excess spells, maybe things like Lava Dart that you don't mind discarding, you can make four power for three mana with this and get some filtering. 
It's a human, so you can play it in that like militia bugler spot in humans if you want to. And for decks like Jund, Mardu, maybe Is It Phoenix, I think this card is very strong. I just can't believe this card isn't on my list because when I look at the words on this card, my jaw kind of drops. I'm like, this card is bonkers. This has to see a ton of play. But as I keep thinking of homes for it and like where you're going to successfully play it, they're not coming to me. And the decks you mentioned, I mean, the only one of those decks you're excited about playing presently is humans. And obviously things change all the time and they'll continue to change. And just based on raw power, there should be a home for seasoned pyromancer at some point. Like things will get fair again. And this card's going to shine in any kind of fair metagame. But as it stands right now, I, I just don't see a deck I could show up. If I had a modern tournament this weekend, and I may, I may go play modern this weekend. You I don't realistically, play. well, I, we'll see. I will talk about that in a little bit. But I, I don't think I could realistically register any deck that had Season Pyromancer in it right now and feel good about my chances, which makes me sad because I love this card. But it's just not the time for it as it stands right now. It's not going to see play in the next week. But it will see play in six months. I guarantee you that. Okay. And and I think that's a fine basis for inclusion, right? Because that's why I have the Storm card on this list. Is like, I don't think it's going to do something right now, but I think it could potentially do something. It's I just think the circumstances are like more metagame-based for Season Pyromancer, while I feel like the circumstances for the Storm card are about what other cards exist. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that completely. I do just think that whether it's through bannings or people figuring it out or whatever, like mm-hmm. the modern metagame will churn, fair decks will be at a point where they are playable again. And maybe this set uh, gave uh, Mardu Pyromancer a lot of things, like a lot of tools, uh, but maybe they're not the, the tools that it needed to actually succeed. And that's fine. This card will show up in other places. It is a powerful enough, just standalone card that it will show up. Yeah, I I look forward to when it does, because this card seems like a lot of fun to play with. All right, you're four. Ranger Captain of Eos. That is the highest of the fair cards on my list, kind of, depending on how you define fair. Yeah, we already talked about it. Great, great card. And the one I believe in out of this set of mythics that have text, as I'm defining them. Yep. Uh, My number three is the Cycle of Horizon Lands. And... We, we see these already showing up in places. They are going to see play. They're not going to be in huge numbers a lot of the time. But, man, do these cards just make it so much easier to build, like, a two-color mana base where you're, you're like, waffling between, like, oh, do I want, like, 20 or 21 land or whatever? Well, now you play 21 and you just play one of these, you know? Yeah, it's and so, such, it's such so upside, too, to now playing two mana or two colors as opposed to, like, stretching into that third color, which we were quite often incentivized to do in modern. I, I think these are going to show up in smaller numbers than we first expected. Like, they'll just be one in a bunch of mana bases or, you know, maybe it'll push to two. It's not going to be, like, the Horizon Canopy thing because a lot of those decks that utilize Horizon Canopy are uniquely set up to take advantage of four copies. Right. A lot of it is on the basis of having the green mana accelerants, and that's why they're able to leverage Horizon Canopy so well. Uh, so I don't think we'll see that repeated over and over. But when we do, these cards are going to be super impactful. Like, for instance, the Neoform decks are already picking up four copies of the blue-green version of the Horizon Land. So that's a big get for that deck, deck that tends to fizzle when it's going off. Getting that extra draw is going to mean a lot there. Yep. You're number three. 
Force of Negation. Another free spell. One colorless, blue, blue, instant. If it's not your turn, you may exile a blue card from your hand rather than pay the spell's mana cost. Counter target non-creature spell. If that spell is countered this way, exile it instead of putting it into its owner's graveyard. There's a bunch of factors. Obviously, I was excited about this card from the get-go, but as time has gone on, I've gotten even higher on it yeah, for several I, reasons. I think that is normal for most people. Yeah, I, I think the rise of Narset has a lot to do with it and moving the interaction point for these control decks to the three mana slot. But it's also how the rest of the format has evolved. Like if we're getting to a broken place, you want Force of Will. Like it's just very obvious that's what you need to be doing. And if Neoform is going to be a deck after the London Mulligan and if there's all these problematic decks that can just kill you out of nowhere, you know, in fact, scaling up and you need an immediate answer, Force of Negation is going to be a key, key card for control decks. And I have still not played with the card yet. Obviously, I've been traveling a lot for SCGCon and not really focused on what Modern Horizons Modern looks like. But all the reports I'm hearing is people start with like a copy, then they have two, then they have three. And they're like, well, wait, can I actually get away with four copies? And it seems like a little hesitance to get to the fourth copy, but the number keeps increasing. Oh, yeah. So this is at my number two, and I think it's kind of a slam dunk number two. So what the hell is your number two? Horizon Lands. So we're we're splitting hairs here. Okay. I'm not going to yell at you for having this as your number two and Horizon Lands at number three. I think it's pretty arbitrary where you place those. Uh, Horizon Lands go a little broader, and that's why I ultimately went with number two. But we agree that this is the effect that matters as far as reshaping what this modern format looks like. Yep. Uh, I think our, our number ones are likely the same, given how things have mm-hmm. kind of played out in the last week here. And I sort of cheated. I, I wanted, you know, some amount of like Carrion Feeder or Hogak at number one because of the Bridgevine deck. And uh, Hogak is 5HH where uh, H is green or black. 8-8, it's a legendary creature. You can't spend mana to cast this. Convoke, Delve, you can cast it from your graveyard, Trample. So if you have been living under a rock, you may have not heard of this Bridgevine deck. But it's it's pretty dumb. It's killing people on like turn two, turn three, pretty consistently, and through this, hate a lot of the times. Yeah, like through, just... through hate or killing them before they cast their rest in peace or whatever. We'll see how the format plays out and everything. And I think it is only fair to put uh, Carrion Feeder, Hogak, and Altar of Dementia together because they all enable this deck. And I think if you remove either Hogak or Altar specifically, then the deck is not nearly as scary. But Carrion Feeder definitely playing like a pretty important role. And I think Carrion Feeder is the card that will sort of stand the test of time and see play in other decks, even if other something play. yeah, does get banned. So Carrion Feeder I wanted up there very highly. Agree with all that. I lumped them together here. I I mean, this certainly, I'm not gonna lie, this wouldn't have been my number one card two weeks ago. There's no way I I picked this as number one. I think our assessment of it was like, oh, how does this actually make Dredge better? Well, it made it into a turn two deck. So pretty easy answer to that. This card is strange to me just because I don't know what this card ever does that's remotely acceptable. Like how this is ever a good thing to have exist. It's free, first of all. So like your alarm bells have to be ridiculously ringing and there's no fair deck on the planet that's ever going to play this card realistically. Like it's it's not a new Tarmogoyf. That's never going to happen. 
it's only going to break things in half. And it seems like it has, in fact, done so. So now the game becomes how much graveyard hate can you play? Can you play main deck graveyard hate? Which decks effectively play main main deck graveyard hate? Can you do Yixlid Jailer and effectively tutor that up? Or, you know, how are you having game in game one against the deck, which is very clearly broken? And until there's a broader response in the terms of bannings or new prints or something, the format warps around this card. It has to be your number one point of consideration. You can't go in cold against this deck. And I mean, maybe it's as simple as just play it until someone tells you they can beat it because no one has told me yet, like, yes, I authoritatively crush this deck. I think even if you're loading up on your rest in pieces and Yixlid Jailers, and and actually Yixlid Jailers, the really interesting card that I think probably most effectively targets these decks because they're very lean on ways to kill creatures, whereas they're pretty adept at answering enchantments, artifacts, things like that. So it'll be interesting to see how much play that card sees. But the the rest in peace Leyline of the Void stuff, it, it's just a stopgap. It's not beating this deck. And we're going to have to go to the drawing board pretty hard to figure a way out of this one. Yeah, it's it's tough. And Jailer doesn't even strike me as the right card to turn to because of things like Dark Blast, Lightning Axe, Necrotic Wound, like all these cards that are seeing play. I don't know. I think it is like... Leyline plus immediately use a discard spell, hope to snipe their claim or assassin's trophy or Wismare, whatever they have, mm. or play a, a lot of ravenous traps. I don't know. I don't know either. I, I mean, I don't. I don't even know that four ravenous traps gets the job done. That seems seems like not enough, believe it or not. Which is a pretty incredible place because the weird thing is like. These decks usually have to turn to anemic beatdown when you effectively target them. Well, the beatdown here isn't that anemic. Like, it's fine. It'll kill you if you're just sitting around doing nothing but targeting their graveyard. They will find a way to beat you. That's a bad place to be in when the A plan is a turn two kill. So we, we have to think really hard about how we're going to answer Hogak as far as, like, decks that effectively target it. Well, Blue-White Control won the first modern event. On Magic Online, bunch of rest in pieces, main deck, surgical extraction. It navigated a field. How many were in the top 16? Do you remember offhand, Jerry? Uh, in top 16, I don't know. There are 10 in top 32. Okay, 10 in top. I mean, that's incredible for week one of modern and unproven archetype. And I remember this deck started circulating around our Discord, and some people were hesitant to talk about it because they wanted to kind of hold it under wraps. And I'm like, this deck isn't staying under wraps. This is clearly broken, and it's about to explode everywhere. And we may as well just get it out there now and start working on it because this is going to be all over the place. And it was, in fact, all over the place. Interesting to see what happens from this point going forward. I hope there's a short-term solution, something we can play immediately that eats up some of this deck's metagame share. Yeah, I, th- I think Humans with some Graveyard Hate is decent. I think Hardened Scales also with some Graveyard Hate is kind of decent because you have all the Ballistas and Hangerbacks that you can play for zero to get rid of the bridges, but right. realistically, you need a way to get rid of bridge on their turn, but uh, Arcbound Ravager kind of solves that problem. So maybe that matchup is still not good despite that which is like kind of crazy but i don't know we'll see i know that obviously the the deck is very different but like hardened scales was one of the worst matchups for bridgevine before and now okay. the bridgevine deck is you know probably four times as good as it was before or whatever right, um, right. but you have the tools 
So I have a tournament this weekend, like we we're talking about. There's some modern tournament with uh, MH1 legal for uh, 10 dual lands for first. That's like yeah. an hour south of me or whatever that I would like to go to this weekend. Was talking to Cedric uh, last weekend a little bit. He talked about how he was going to DC and wanted to play the MCQs there. And I was like, do you want the humans deck? Because he had my humans deck for like eight months or something and was just playing in a bunch of tournaments. And he's just like, yeah, I guess. So I just handed him my humans deck and now I'm just like, oh, no, I want that back. <laughs> Well, we'll see if we can put something together for you. Like I said, not 100% if I will be attending that, but I'll cer- we'll certainly talk about it and we'll keep our listeners and our patrons up to date on exactly where we fall. Personally, I'm inclined to try and make blue-white work. I, I think the deck is very good. I think it has options. I don't know if they're enough. Uh, I do think they'll probably do... The deck will do an effective job of preying on anything else that shows up to target Hogak. It's just a question of whether those decks can actually win against it. So we'll have to check that one out. Yeah. Uh, also, there's like availability issues too, right? Like this is week one of the format and not that many people have all the Modern Horizons cards they're looking for at this point. Right. I traded in some cards last weekend, like I mentioned, and I got two boxes of Modern Horizons and I'm like going through building sealed pools with it and stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I think I have not opened a single Hogak or Altar of Dementia. So <laughs> we'll Perfect. see how that goes. But just Just how they drew it up. Yeah, I could also play that deck, which might just be correct, and I, I am fine with doing. I still have most of the Vengevine stuff from before, I believe. So I could I could probably put that together. Well, I bought a bunch of foil, Bridge from Belows, and Gravecrawlers this weekend, so you let me know if you need those. Smart. Did you overpay for those, or were they still pretty low? I bought them one day, and I came back the next day, and they were about double what I bought them for. So hey, I, hell I think yeah. I just squeaked it out. Yeah. Hashtag MTG Fine Ants. Yeah, I just wanted them. It's, it's not really about finance, but happy I got them a little bit cheaper than I uh, otherwise would have if I waited. Word. Well, I will do my best to convince you to play in this tournament because I want someone to hang out with while I'm there. But I also think it'll be a lot of fun. Maybe we should both just play Hogak and go to town. Just gack people? Yeah, just gack them. These poor, unsuspecting folks, they just won't know what hit them. Uh, I think everyone is expecting it at this point, but it's just a question of whether they found a way out of it. And, uh, you know, modern doesn't move quite as fast as standard does, right? There's there's real card availability stuff going on. Decks are expensive. People tend to lock into an archetype, especially for this tournament, which is very strange in its location and stakes. Like, it's a very high-stakes tournament, not at a store. It's at some kind of on-campus con or something like that. I don't know exactly what's going on, but it'll be strange to see what decks show up. Yeah, it's it's wild, but I'm in. Let's do it. Yeah, we'll figure that one out. And like I said, we'll keep everyone posted. Cool. So every week we solicit the fine folks in our Discord for questions and a lot of different questions this week. I'm, I'm kind of liking the one from Jeff Pica. Hit me with it. Let's do it. So I, I should also just there, – there's like five people I think that just ask great questions every week, and Pike is certainly among them. Uh, but Pika says, so bans destroy consumer confidence, but modern is looking very troubled right now. How would you fix the current modern format's problems without any bans? Man, Pika really putting me to the test. You, I mean, you must have an answer to this in mind if you like this question so much. You got something for me? I think it is – just bans basically i i honestly don't think that there's a way around it like at this point obviously you can just like let things play out and see how it goes and i think that that is perfectly reasonable 
But assuming that this continues, right, and this deck is just like 33% of the winner's metagame, it really puts really stupid onus on how you have to build your decks and approach a format, which I don't think people like. And if this game were fully digital, I think that you could just, you know, add three mana to Hogak or whatever, you know, however you wanted to solve it. And it just, it would just be fine. That would be like the, the Hearthstone method, I guess. But in this era that we are currently living in, it does not seem great to me. And I, I think this, this real life tournament that's kind of in a random location and uh, I, I think it'll attract people who are locals, but also people who are like local tournament grinders who are just going to go there tr- thinking it's going to be soft and like try and eke out like the thousand dollar equity or thousands of dollars of equity they have by playing in the tournament. Mm-hmm. And if the grinders show up with Hogak and it's like, you know, six of the top eight slots or whatever, and the other people who were just there playing their modern decks and they just walk away from Bad this. Experience. And they're just, yeah, yeah. They're just like, this is, this was not fun at all. You know, modern used to be my favorite format and this is just bullshit. Basically like that is bad. You can't solve that without just outright banning a card or two, you know? I've been thinking a lot about bands lately just because, I mean, it should be clear with the way I often approach this topic when we speak about it, that it frustrates me. Like it's not something I enjoy spending time talking about because I don't think it's super fruitful to like player development. We're not making our listeners better by spending a lot of times talking about bands. And that frustrates me, but I also know it's, it's what they want to hear about though. And like, I'm not going to just ignore what people want to hear us talk about just because, you know, I think it's in their best interest. That's not always for me to decide. So I'm willing to respect our listeners and, and discuss this, but I don't know how you move things beyond this point where that's the first answer to everything, especially in these situations where it seems like it's the only answer. And I wonder if it's time for like drastic measures and the things I've been bouncing around are like redemption programs so you can get real aggressive with your bands but i just don't know that there's any way to actually do that that like makes logistical sense i mean maybe with the availability of arena you just give out a bunch of arena credit like you can i don't know this all sounds so stupid and like such a bad idea but i i've really been scraping the bottom of the barrel figuring out a way that you can get more aggressive with course correction especially in modern without just totally crapping on the people who are giving you money hand over fist, you know, because I I think the set's going to sell like crazy, quite frankly, like people are pumped about this set. It sounded like it was selling a lot at SCG con. People were really grabbing up boxes. And I think people just love a lot of the cards here. And it's going to be really sad if there's immediate bans and especially around one of the like, very noteworthy cards in the set, which people are purchasing at, I don't know what this card costs right now. I think it's probably like 40 plus dollars if I had to guess. And that's painful. Nobody wants to throw away $160 on a card that gets banned the next week. That hurts so, so much. Uh, $30 on SCG right now. So yeah. What, what I don't like about redemption stuff is that say you ban KCI, like KCI goes from like a $2 uncommon to a $20 uncommon. And mm. then you ban KCI because it's the problem card. And then your Mox Opals lose 20% right. of their value too. Know. You know, it's, it's not just any one thing, which sucks. And you look at the Hogak deck and say you ban bridge from below or whatever, like your Vengevines are tanking, your Hogaks are yeah. tanking yeah. all that stuff. So the redemption thing doesn't really feel great unless you're overpaying for it. And 
to be honest, if you're doing like arena credit or something, you can overpay for it, you know? That's actually a potential bonus for them too, because there are a lot of people I talked to even this weekend who have yet to play arena, you know? So you get I new people into the system by giving them that potentially credit. Mm. It's got some upside. Give them 20,000 gems or whatever. It's like, yeah, that's, that's a lot of money, but maybe they're just like, Oh, this, this arena thing is great. And now I have the starting point for a collection and that person ends up, you know, buying a booster box of the new set every time it comes out. Right. Like that could certainly right. happen. So I don't, I don't think that that's the worst. I think that is definitely something they could do. That's it's a lot of logistics and tracking and stuff. And certainly there are a lot of magic players worldwide and even like, yeah, you ban bridge from below. So what it was it going to be like you mail us four copies of bridge from below and we'll give you X amount of credit. And what happens when star city games sends you like 200 bridge from belows or whatever, right? right? How right. do you handle that? I don't know. It, it is weird for sure. But I do think that there is something cool that they could do to lessen the impact of bands and overall not hurt consumer confidence all that much. But regardless, if Things continue to be very bad and people have a bad experience. I think bands are realistically the only thing that you can turn to. The other idea I, b- I bounced around a lot was restriction. And I wasn't going as far as like one ofs. I think that doesn't really work in present context. I was thinking of like two of restrictions and what that does. But realistically, it's it's probably in most cases in modern identical to a ban like it just weakens the deck to an extent that it's it's no longer viable and then all the cards are worthless and if it is viable then you didn't fix the problem because that's the thing that comes up over and over in modern which is really unique is a lot of these problems are not about win rate like we don't have any authoritative data on hogax win rate i i bet it's really high but we don't know that yet that's just our assumption and kci's win rate wasn't like completely a field like it wasn't bonkers it was very good but it wasn't unacceptable and a lot of times i think think it was unacceptable no i think most of the data was having it float around like 53 percent, and then at times it even dipped below 50 percent. i remember i don't think it was getting to like really problematic levels occasionally it would stick at like 58 percent, but then it would come back down as people targeted it again if i recall correctly yeah, this this might be a different conversation because it's like I want to look at the numbers of KCI for, you know, people who have an ELO of like 1800 and up or whatever. Right. And right. for the people who have like, you know, a sub 1700 ELO, they're likely playing KCI not winning as much because they're not as efficient with the deck. And that makes the tournament experience much worse for all of their opponents, too, because it's it's just miserable, like watching them trying right. to go through the motions and being very slow about it. But it's like Matt Nass plays fast and well and wins all the time and haha ban Matt Nass, whatever. But yeah, realistically, I think like both sides of the spectrum are bad where it's like you look at the good people's win percentage, it's astronomical. You look at the the worst players' win percentage, it's bad, but like it still doesn't contribute healthily to the format, especially the more Matt Nass wins and the more people pick up the deck. Right. Right. It's an interesting problem. One that I don't have the solutions for, and I don't know that there is a clean solution for. We'll have to see exactly what we do in this new era. It sucks to be talking about it for such a cool set, but I mean, quite frankly, it's a little disappointing, right? Like you want to do all this snow covered stuff and I want to build cool Elder Ami's call decks and 
I, I want to work on some of the goofier stuff and the fairer stuff. I want to see all those legends in play. And it doesn't feel super realistic given the graveyard focus right now. So let's hope this gets cleaned up and we get to unlock all of Modern Horizons at some point. Right. And I, at that point, I hope that there is just a celebration. Yeah, absolutely. Let this play out, sure. But if it continues to be awful and people hate modern as a result of it, which is not that far out of the realm of possibilities, I I would hope that when something gets banned, there is more there are more people who are saying thank you than there are people who are complaining about how their Hogax tank in price, you know? Yeah, and I think there usually are. Even in like the other situations, I think there usually have been. It's just that it's hard to separate the really loud voices from the opinion of the majority. You know what I mean? Like those loud yep. voices are just so intense and th- that's internet problems 101. So uh, maybe we need to do a better job of not leaning into the fact that there is this division among players. Maybe everyone just wants this card gone in a few weeks. We'll see. We'll, we'll check back in. We'll try and be as unbiased about the coverage of it as we possibly can. Oh yeah. And maybe if we do go to this tournament, we can do some live reporting from the floor. Sure. I, I purchased a nice mic setup that we could do more live recording and we were all set to debut it at SCG Con. And then I was just playing a lot of magic and didn't really have time to do much uh, on either of the first two days. And Sunday rolled around and I was kind of burnt out. So maybe this will be the debut of our live recording equipment. I'm in. Let's do it. Cool. That's game. Good luck.